Well, it's been a boring week around here. Nothing, nothing really to do. Uh, it, uh, no, it's been a great week. We want to say thank you to all of you who uh, helped invest in Vacation Bible Camp. Just to give you a, a sense of how many kids we were able to bless uh, this week, we needed 400 volunteers to manage them. So that, that gives you a sense of how many kids were a part of Vacation Bible Camp, what a great week it was, and, and we're so thankful for your investment in that. I, I say often everything that we do, we do together, and Vacation Bible Camp is a very clear expression of that. So we appreciate your service and blessing kids uh, this last week as we shared uh, what it looks like to live fully alive. Uh, That's really what we're talking about as well as we continue our series, Summer of Joy. Uh, Their theme verse this week was uh, John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And we looked at that verse uh, with uh, several others a few few weeks ago. Uh, I want to begin by first inviting you to, to, if you brought your Bible with you, uh, open to Ephesians chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can find Ephesians 2 on page 1815 in the blue Bible that we have available for you. Uh, We'll be there in uh, just a moment. But we started uh, a few weeks ago by looking at what the Apostle Paul describes as the glorious riches of the Christian life in Colossians 1.27. And he says it's simply this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We said, we believe that in Christ and in Christ alone, there is hope. In Christ and in Christ alone, there is the opportunity for uh, what he says in John 10, 10, life to the full. And in Christ and Christ alone, there is unending joy. And so over the course of this summer series, we're challenging ourselves to live in Christ and to claim that joy in our life. Last week we talked about where does that start, where does it begin, and we looked at the first eight verses in Ephesians chapter 2, and we talked about how the Apostle Paul here is writing to Christians, people who already said yes to Jesus, they've already committed their life to him, but in this letter that he sends to them, he begins by inviting them to look back at where they once were, to think about where they now are today, and how God has brought them to this new place. He reminds them that you once were, were dead, you, were, you, you didn't even know what you were missing and God in his love and mercy came to bring you out of that life of death into a whole new way of life, a life that is made available by the grace and mercy of God. We looked at how the passage there in the first few verses of Ephesians 2 really connects with the themes of one of our favorite songs, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And so when you think about where this life in Christ, this life of joy begins, we talked about that it begins, it begins at the foot of the cross. It begins as we kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross and we recognize what God out of God's great mercy and love has done for us, bringing from a life of death into a whole new life of an ending joy. It's not only where it begins, but it's also where our life is sustained. We can never lose a sense of that, of where we have come from by the mercy and grace of God. Here's today's question, where do you go from there? What's the next step? What's, what, what, where do you go from the foot of the cross? Or is that it? Is that, is that all we're supposed to do? Just come to the cross, receive God's grace, and then just 
hold on and try to be nice until we get to the sweet by and by? What's, what's next after that? Is there something next after that? And to answer that, we're going to keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2 to look at where Paul goes next in this letter. As he goes from the foot of the cross, a reminder of God's mercy and God's grace at work in their life, and then he looks at what the next step for this community is what it might be. So before I begin reading to you uh, at verse 11, uh, I need to give you a, a few words of context just to make sure that, that, that you understand a few things because what Paul is gonna address here is an issue that is contemporary to the time of those who originally received his letter. It's not an issue that, that we necessarily would understand immediately today. So let me tell you a few things about that. Paul's gonna talk about Jews and Gentiles. Now you probably know that Jews were the descendants of Abraham, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, the covenant that God makes with Abraham and all of his descendants. And you may not have, have ever thought about it this way, but this whole book is really a story about the Jewish people. It's a story about their struggling to live in right relationship with God, their, their struggle to, uh, to live into the covenant that God had called them uh, to live. Uh, the story of Jesus is a continuation of the Jewish story. And, and when we get to the writings of the, the Apostle Paul and others, we are listening to uh, Jewish writers who are speaking into the life of this new Christian community now. Who were the Gentiles? The Gentiles were everyone who wasn't Jews. Anyone who had not come from that heritage was a Gentile. These were people who were primarily from a pagan background, had worshipped many gods. Uh, and because of the divide between these two groups of people, not only the religious divide, but also the cultural divide, we can imagine that these two groups of people really hadn't spent that much time together. Because over the course of their life, they'd been trained in intentional and unintentional ways to separate themselves from one another, to be a little bit skeptical of the other, to be uh, those who would see the others as an inherently dangerous group of people to, to themselves. And so you can imagine these as two groups of people who just, well, we don't talk to them and they don't talk to us and we just go, we just go our separate ways. But as the church expanded beyond the boundaries of ancient Israel, guess who was becoming Christians? It was Gentiles. And now these two groups of people, Jews, and Gentiles now found themselves in the same church, trying to figure out how it is that they were to live in this new relationship with one another. So knowing, having a sense of that ancient struggle between these two groups of people, listen now to where Paul takes his audience, the original recipients of this letter, as he moves from the foot of the cross, a reminder of God's grace at work in their life, to where he goes next. Verse 11 says this, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now, why is this in here? Because for the Jews, if you go all the way back to Abraham, circumcision was a mark of the covenant. It was one of the things that, every, uh, that, that was a part of every Jewish boy's, young boy's life. Uh, but notice this cultural practice has devolved into labels that are given to the two groups. You, you were referred to as the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time, again, Paul is looking back, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, look at this. For he himself, he himself Christ, is our peace. He is our peace because he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Go to the next slide. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So from the foot of the cross, Paul takes this community to an encounter with a a reminder of the hostility that they have between these two, uh, that is present between these two groups of people. And he talks about what Christ has done, how Christ has bridged the gap in, in in that divide between these two. And in Christ, Christ is now reconciling them to one another. He himself is making peace through the blood that he shed on the cross. So let me see if I can help you bring this into a contemporary context. You think about what this might look like in our life today and what the application might be for us in our life today. Just like the Jews and Gentiles of thousands of years ago, we over the course of our life have been trained in intentional and unintentional ways to separate and divide the people that we live with each and every day. Uh, Some of that is is simply cultural differences or religious practices, color, creed, or all of those uh, class, all those types of things that that unintentionally perhaps uh, uh, help us to to see people as different than ourselves. We find ourselves making all sorts of assumptions about others because of these, uh, again, different ways that we've been trained to to think in, in, in these particular ways. So let me just give you an example, and I won't pick on you, I'll tell you one from my own life. So several years ago, I was a part of a mentoring group of pastors from all over the country. And the very first gathering, we get to, I think we were in Memphis for the very first one, we, we get to this church and we're meeting one another, kind of have this like mingling session where we're having some food and introducing ourselves and and I met this uh, pastor named Michael and Michael seemed like a really really nice guy I mean he's a pastor he's supposed to be nice right so you know I'm talking to Michael and I'm telling him about my church that I'm serving and he's telling me about where he's serving and he's a pastor in New Jersey and I don't know anything about New Jersey I mean I know there's the mobs there. That's all I know about New Jersey. I, I don't know anything about New Jersey. So he's telling me about his church and he's telling me about kind of the city in which he, uh, which he serves and he serves on the Jersey shore. So he's got one of those churches where no one's there during the school year and then everyone comes during the summer because they vacation there. And you know, I'm interested, I'm learning all sorts of new things about this, but I'm thinking about where New Jersey is and I, I just knew there was an uncomfortable moment coming. And I thought, well, I'm just going to name it because we need to name it. We need to get past it. And so I just, I just said, so, so you live in New Jersey, so you're probably a New York Giants fan. And I just waited, you know, and he said, actually, I'm not. And, I, you know, I'm like feeling hopeful, like, oh, he's, he's not a Giants fan. He said, I'm an Eagles fan. I know. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it was, it was like this, this moment where I was just like, who are you? What, I thought you were a pastor. Aren't you a Christian? How can you be a Christian and be a Philadelphia? You, y'all don't even like Santa. What, is, what are you talking about? I, it was just this moment of pause of who is this person? Because 
I hadn't spent a lot of time with Eagles fans. And I, I, think, I, I think God's been working on this in, in my life because several years later, we had a family join our church. And of course, one of the joys of being in the DFW area is there's people who come from all parts of the country and make their home here. And, and this family joined our church and the, the, these, these people were like first round draft picks when it came to ch new church members. I mean, these are the people that you want to be a part of. They are people who want to serve in whatever way you need them. Just tell me what you need, pastor. I'll do it. They'll serve in any capacity. They're just great, great people that you want to be a part of your church. But this, this spring, uh, they, they came to church one, one Sunday and they said, we, we got a gift for you. We want to give you something. We want to bless you with something. So I opened the gift and this is what they gave me. It's a Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl champions shirt, Fly Eagles Fly. And my first thought was, why did you spend any money on this? I'm never going to wear this thing. I don't, know, I don't know what I'm going to do with this thing. I'm proud of myself simply by the fact that I haven't burned it. I mean, I still have it. But they're just so nice. I, I had to take it. and I, Again, I haven't worn it yet, but I, I've got it here. I don't know what I'll ever do with it, but there you go. Fly, eagles, fly. And of course, I, I had someone after the 815 service come up and say, you know, their coach is a Christian and the, and the quarterback does a Bible study. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Why? Because over the course of our lives, we, we've been trained to think in certain ways about different groups of people. And of course, it's deeper than just who is your favorite sports team. It's, it, it reveals itself in so many ways. Uh, I've told you before about an experience I had when I was a freshman in high school. My youth pastor uh, decided that it would be a good, good thing for us to go to Dallas and serve in a soup kitchen feeding the homeless. We showed up and I was a little uncomfortable. I didn't really know what this was gonna be. And they start talking about what the jobs are and there's people who are gonna serve behind the line and there's people who are gonna be out among the crowd just serving and refilling glasses. And, and I remember as they explained these two jobs, I thought, please put me behind the line. I wanna be behind the line. I wanna be behind the line. And my youth pastor said, you're gonna go out there and serve. And that was, a, that was a really challenging, moving experience for me to simply be with people who I unintentionally or intentionally thought is different than myself and to be in a place to simply serve them and bless them and listen to their stories and to recognize they're just like me. They're just like me. And of course, there's also a more personal application of this for us in our life because it's not only groups of people that we might think of as we're trying to understand what Paul's communicating here. It's also... It's also people who are individuals, people with names and stories who we know who are a part of our life. And some of those are people who, who, who they excel at aggravating you. And, and you don't have to say their name, you don't have to confess this, but you know who they are, don't you? I mean, they just, they're just so good at it. You're, you're impressed by, by how, how well they can sometimes aggravate you with their, with their behavior. And you find yourself thinking, why am I so frustrated with this person? Or maybe, maybe it's the person who, who is for you today a, a former friend. Someone with whom you had a close relationship, maybe over the course of many, many years, but something, something went wrong along the way. There was a conversation that didn't go well. There was a season of life that was really difficult. There was something that happened, and, and now you have a broken relationship that is in need of reconciliation, but maybe you have no idea what needs to happen for that healing to begin in your life. 
And of course, what often happens is the relationships that end up fractured are relationships with people who we continue to interact with on a somewhat regular basis. We still live in the same community, the same, same town, may, uh, may, maybe even go to the same workplace. And of course, when that occurs, the relationship is fractured, but you're still sort of in the periphery of each other's life, you begin to live life differently, don't you? You kind of go through the grocery store a little bit differently. You're a little bit slower around the corner. You peek to make sure you're not going to have some surprising encounter with someone you, you don't want to see. Maybe you're careful with who or how you make eye contact with others, again, hoping to avoid that, that surprising encounter with someone who has unexpectedly become an adversary for you in your life. And I would invite you to think about that. If you've ever had an experience like that in your life or maybe you're in that experience now, because if you can kind of reconnect to the discomfort of that, of the anxiety of that, of running in again to that person that, where the relationship has somehow experienced a wound, you have a sense of how challenging Paul is being here as he invites these first recipients of this letter to go from the foot of the cross to one of those kinds of surprising encounters. From the foot of the cross, Paul says, let, let me talk about this issue. And let me talk about what it means for you and what Christ has done in the midst of this pain and hurt and struggle. There's an encounter that happens between adversaries, but what's interesting is where the encounter happens. It happens in Christ. It happens in Christ. It doesn't happen when two people meet in the middle, it happens when they meet in Christ. And the reason that it happens in Christ is because in Christ is where healing can happen. In Christ is where restoration can happen. In Christ is where hope is born. In Christ is where that breakthrough can occur. In Christ and in Christ alone, when we meet there, the impossible suddenly becomes possible because Christ by the gift of his blood shed on the cross, Christ himself, the scripture says, is our peace. Some of you have heard this quote before. It's a famous one from Pastor Mike, our, our former senior pastor. Mike uh, would often say to you, and he would often say to me, David, people will always be people. God will always be God. Never confuse the two. People will always be people, God will always be God, never confuse the two. Never be surprised, he would say to me, never be surprised when someone else disappoints you. At some point in your life, everyone will disappoint you. Everyone in your life, intentionally or unintentionally, will disappoint you or hurt you or not live up to what your expectation might be. The, don't, don't expect people to be God. Don't expect God to be like people. And part of what I think that means as we think about reconciliation is it challenges us to think about who can really provide what we think we need? You ever been in that type of situation where you have a relationship that's, that's fractured and you just think, well, this would be better if he or she would just do this 
or if they would say this, or they could make it up to me, if they could somehow pay me back for what went wrong. But they can't. They can't. Only God can. Only Christ can. People will always be people. God will always be God. Never confuse the two. It's why our soul thirsts for God, the living God, and the healing that only God can bring. The encounter must happen in Christ. And in Christ we come not to compromise, in Christ we come again to be transformed by His grace. So where in your life, where in your life might Christ be calling you into relationship with someone? Where where in your life might God be challenging you to, to be present with Him, with one another, with someone with whom you, you may be strained, you may have experienced a fracture, but Christ wants to bring healing into your life. I want to uh, provide for you what I think may be four steps to thinking about how that reconciliation occurs. And, and as I move through this, I, I, I offer it so that you can simply think through this question, where am I in this? Often we are not exactly where we think we are. So if you have a place in your life where you think, I would like some healing to happen in this friendship. I would like some healing to happen in this marriage. I would like some healing to happen in this relationship with my son or my daughter or my mom or my dad. I want you to hear these, these, these steps and simply think about the question, where are we right now? And what might the next step be? Uh, Perhaps we start with this. We start with the idea of simply accepting that it happened. Uh, Moving our energy away from trying to change the past to simply accepting that the past has occurred. It happened. And regardless of who did what or when or how or all the other details that we try to relitigate in our minds to simply say it happened. It happened. And in accepting that it happened, we go to the next step, which is acknowledging that it hurt. Not avoiding it, not trying to numb the pain, which we are so good at doing, but to simply acknowledge this hurt. And not acknowledging it, knowing that hurt people hurt people. So if you're trying to figure out why did they do what they did? Well, they were hurt. And they heard in response, but also acknowledging that if I remain in the place of hurt, I'm going to find myself intentionally or unintentionally hurting others, acknowledging the hurt, feeling it, acknowledging that it's real. The third step is to release, release the need to be right, release the need for someone else to make up for you what you think you owe, to to recognize that being right is overrated. You've experienced that in your life, haven't you? When you finally beat someone in submission, they said, fine, you're right. And you thought, that's less satisfying than I thought it was going to be. You should let that go. Asking yourself the question, am I willing to lose this person for the sake of my pride? Am I really willing to lose this relationship for the sake of, for the sake of what I want or what I think I need? And, and this may be the most important one, which is to move forward. To, to recognize, to claim this, this conviction. I have a life to live. I have a life to live. And I can't keep living my life in the past. I can't keep living my life in the hurt that I experienced. I can't keep living my life according to 
how I see myself from this, from this conflict that I have. I have a life to live. I have a God to serve. I have things that I'm called to do and they are ahead. They are not behind. They are in the future. They're what God is calling me to do. They're not, they're not what's in the past. And so many, so many, so many have, a, have their eyes back to the what once was, a pain they, they experienced long ago. And meanwhile, opportunities are being missed every single day to claim that truth. I have a life to live and I will not allow my life to be imprisoned to the pain that I experienced so long ago. Now, what in the world does that have to do with joy? Because this doesn't sound like a very joyful topic, does it? What does this have to do with joy? Well, let me invite you to hear some words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, you can write this down if you want. If you find yourself today where you have a name or a relationship in your mind or on your heart, and if you find yourself thinking, uh, Pastor, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) I'm just at that place where I don't want to do it. I don't want to let it go. I don't want to acknowledge it. I I just don't want, I I would just invite you to hear these words from 2 Corinthians 5, and I would encourage you, I'm going to read to you from... um, You can find this whole section, verse 11, through the end of the chapter. But I would encourage you just to read this passage. And I think it'll help you as you prayerfully consider the the meaning of it in your life and holding that person with whom you may be estranged, uh, holding them with you in prayer. But, But listen to what, listen to what Paul says here about reconciliation. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And all of this, this great gift, it's from God who reconciled us to himself. God rebuilt the bridge between us and God. Uh, He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And in response, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore God's ambassadors, as if Christ was making his appeal through us, inviting the world to be reconciled to God. In other words, when we come to the foot of the cross and we receive the grace of God, we are at the same time commissioned to go be reconciled with one another. So if you find yourself at that place where you think, I don't know what the next step is, those four steps sound way beyond where I am today. Well, the invitation is to come back and kneel at the foot of the cross. Think about God's grace at work in your life and how God's grace might call you to share that grace with others. Will you pray with me? Loving God, today we acknowledge to you how hard this work can be in our life. And we acknowledge to you, Lord, the stubbornness that we often feel in approaching the idea of being reconciled to one another. 
Lord, for some of us, we've, we've fallen into a rut and we don't know how to get out of it. We've just been there for so long. The mountain may seem too high to climb. We don't know where to take a first step. And so we simply come again to you, giving thanks for the grace that you have given to each of us and asking, pleading with you, Lord, to enable us to be the same type of grace givers for others in our life. Lord, would you free us from the burden and the bondage of hurt that we've experienced, pain that has lingered in our life? Would you lead us out from that, Lord? Would you lead us into right relationship, not only with you, but right relationship with one another? Lord, I wanna pray for, uh, for anyone here who, who finds himself in that place. I pray, Lord, that today they would be encouraged that in hearing this, Lord, they wouldn't feel beaten down, but instead they would, they would know that they're not alone, that we all together struggle in this way, and we know we need to be better. So help us, God. Help us, God, to not only receive your grace, help us, God, to know that you have the power to extend grace in ways beyond our imagination. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.